Welcome to Whining About Life, Episode 1. I'm Max Cotton, and I will be the host for this first episode. The goal of this podcast is to try and answer the complicated question, what is the purpose of life? Now, this is a very broad topic and can take us down a number of roads and different opinions, so we decided to start off this podcast with a scientific and philosophical perspective. Our first interview, conducted by Avery O'Bailey, is with Dr. Nick Leonardo from the University of Utah Medical Center. He's going to help us out with the scientific perspective. Name is Nick Leonardo. My degree is a PharmD. I've been a critical care pharmacist at the University of Utah for 24 years. My uh, areas of practice are surgical ICU and cardiovascular ICU. My uh, workings with COVID come only in patients that become so severely ill that they require um, external devices like VV ECMO to help them breathe. And uh, we've had, you know, um, probably um, the MICU is completely full of COVID patients at this time. Um, we've had about I would say seven COVID patients. Um, mortality seems like we've been about 50%, something like that. Mm-hmm. For those, that 24 years, has that always been at the University of Utah? Correct. Yeah. Um, yeah, correct. I, I was a pharmacist in the, um, my first job out of pharmacy school was trauma ICU down at Las Vegas, University Medical Center in Las Vegas. And then I was a clinical coordinator at Salt Lake Regional for a couple of years, and ever since then have been at the U for 24 years. Wow, nice. Um, well, since COVID appeared, when was the first time you really heard about COVID and kind of thought, wow, this is a, turning into a world pandemic and knowing you're in the medical field, when did you really mentally process that you were gonna be at the front lines, essentially fighting off a pandemic in Utah? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, initially, um, I have to admit it caught me off guard. We we have, over the years, treated people with influenza, um, very bad influenza that has required ventilators and VV ECMO. So the prospect of somebody getting a viral disease bad enough to, you know, wipe out their lungs requiring um, not only a ventilator but VV ECMO was not new to us in the ICU. However, uh, when COVID came along, I was a little unclear of whether it was hyperbole or whether it was real initially. Like everybody else, I was mm-hmm. caught off guard. Um, I would say, I would say maybe about two months after the epidem- uh, pandemic started we started to realize this wasn't just another um, virus that was gonna pass quickly. But um, in terms of realizing whether we'd be on the front lines, uh, in terms of the people bearing the most brunt of coronavirus, it's our medical colleagues up in the medical ICU because they're they're taking almost all of the um, coronavirus patients and their unit uh, last I looked was 
I think every single patient was a coronavirus patient except three. And then the ones that uh, require more than a ventilator will come to us. I read a book called Apollo's Arrow, and so uh, in the book he talked about all the world pandemics over mm-hmm. many years historically. Kind and, of talking about like the narrative of... Yeah, I mean, yeah. you can learn from what's going on now by looking at our history, the 1918 influenza, but also we had cholera outbreaks in London in 1854 that killed millions of people, and you know, um, of course, bubonic plague and all those things. What I think is worth talking about with coronavirus and where some of the perception gets uh, misconstrued. So when you had the SARS and the MERS, the Middle Eastern coronavirus, their mortality was actually quite a bit higher in those two viruses, right? So when mortality per patient, like, uh, you know, how many people, if, if a thousand people got coronavirus, what is the actual mortality? It's shockingly low. I mean, it's not as high as you think. Now, initially, you're tempted to think that's a good thing. But in fact, from um, an evolutionary standpoint, the virus... Uh, the virus thrives when it can occupy you and keep you alive. It doesn't do very well if you die real quickly and then it can't spread itself to other people. If you die fast from uh, an evolutionary survivable standpoint, um, an organism doesn't want you to die fast. It, yeah, it, wants it, could, to take over it doesn't yourselves. actually want yeah. anything, of course, because yeah. <laughs> it's it's not got a consciousness. But in terms of survival, the organism doesn't want you to die fast. It would rather occupy you. It would love for you to get sick than call over lots of people to take care of you, so then it could then infect them. It's all about copying its genes to more people. So something I want to go back on, just like a word you used, was mortality. So basically, that's kind of what makes humans fearful is the risk of mortality, specifically in this scenario of the last year and a half, is like these viruses overtaking. <laughs> Love Jeff. <laughs> um, just kind of the fear of viruses overtaking um, an organism and making you sick. So... You saw it firsthand being in the ICU and from a medical standpoint, from like a evolution standpoint, it, it makes sense that organisms die off eventually or one organism makes the other sick and causes that ripple effect. But from a human standpoint, um, seeing that in and out in your day-to-day uh, year or and more because you did You've done ICU how long? 24 years. How do you manage, so more like on a human level, how do you manage coming home and leaving that, if you can, leaving that where it's not affecting your mental health? And and where do you see, like, if you can, where do you see silver linings in scenarios like like the one being like on the front line of a world pandemic where it's kind of seems like it's out of control and if that's the right term to use and 
just yeah. that's a loaded question that maybe I hope yeah. you feel comfortable answering if you can. I think, well, okay, so I'm a pharmacist in the critical care unit. Right. My patient contact is quite peripheral, mm -hmm. and which means I don't have to be with the patient all of my shift. I go in and out of their rooms for various reasons. Um, I talk to their families for med histories, mm -hmm. and then sometimes they live, sometimes they die. That is pretty mild compared to, say, a nurse uh, who stays with the patient really all the time, especially in a critical care unit. They see the patient, uh, they get to know the patient, they get to know their families, and they grieve when that patient passes and they watch their last breaths. So my perspective is quite different than my colleagues. Mm -hmm. So for example, but in terms of how I handle it is, um, I think about life and death very philosophically. Um, I'm completely a religious, but um, I think of death as very much part of the whole human condition. People live, people die, and disease comes and disease goes. And we, uh, from my role, is just how can I make that human condition better for somebody? Mm -hmm. Like, if somebody doesn't need to suffer and doesn't need to die, then we should be doing everything we can to help prevent that, right? So that means my perspective is I bring the latest information to my colleagues and we as a team take care of that patient. And that means a lot of reading and a lot of staying up on the latest drugs and making sure that we're dosing them adequately. And um, I think at the end of the day, when you leave and you know you've done your job as best you can, you get some peace with that and you actually get some uh, feeling of purpose and meaning from it. Um, it is terrible to see uh, death and people not make it, but we also see a lot of people saved and it's kind of a balance. I think personally, when I used to work trauma um, back at University Medical Center way back when, those were some of the saddest things I've ever seen because they were young people. Um, older people, um, it is always tragic to see anybody have to pass, but it is just much more tragic to see young people. COVID is now taking some pretty young people, and and it's just a, it's just a horrible, horrible situation. I forgot the second part of your question. I was more just, yeah, just asking how, how you manage to kind of leave the day and feel like mentally prepared to come home to your family. I think you answered that well. And then um, something that you really touched base on, which is kind of the overarching message, um, especially like with you being our medical perspective, is kind of generally, we know there's life, we know there's death, but there's typically some span of middle of um, either a longer life, a fully lived life, a shorter life, whatever that may be. But what do you think the sole purpose of life is? Do you think it's different for everyone? Do you think there's an overarching purpose for humanity? 
Yeah. Or, you know, is, um. it, is it universal or do you think it's really what you've chosen with being a religious and how do you kind of take on that, that yeah. philosophical question yeah. too that I'll, everyone thinks about, you know? Yeah. Life and death keeps regardless of what you think. I think I personally think it keeps everyone up at night one way or form. You think about it some way, somehow, you know? Yeah. I am a... Um... I would be called what's called an existential atheist. Like I, uh, I think that uh, I was brought up and raised religious and held on to that for years. So I mm-hmm. very much understand how that is used as a way to explain existence or cope with it and as cope well. with yeah. the the horrors of the things that we go through. But um, existentialism. Um, is what really I identify with most. And that is, you exist, you're on this planet. You're not, you don't exist because somebody gave you a reason to exist. You find your reason to exist when you're here. You are born, you exist. If you start with that and then say, okay, every day I have to wake up and figure out why I'm here. I'm going to work very hard to figure it out. And I'm not going to take one breath for granted. I'm going to make the most of this. I I think, you know, uh, when you view things like that, you realize that life is precious. Mm-hmm. Life is a rare event. It's freakishly rare. And intelligent life is even more rare, right? Yeah. So... An intelligent... Just the fact that you were the... the really, the sperm that like got could, got to the egg or something yeah, just right. like blows your mind. Oh, yeah. Or like but, the, big, big, the Big Bang or yeah. something like all of stardust or yeah, something. Yeah, all of the things yeah. that were necessary to create life are so... It's like uh, living on a razor's edge. You know, one wobble of the earth and sun... And we have an ice age and all things die. And we get too close to the sun and we evaporate. <laughs> it's that. Yeah. It's that crazy. Or a meteorite. And the fact that we it's, we yeah. even have had these remarkable, um, crazy things Asteroids. to bring us into. Oh. Well, I mean, there's been many yeah. world, like cataclysmic things that mm-hmm. have made life possible, right? So if you start with this, that you exist and that life is pretty amazing and wonderful, then you wake up every day saying, I'm not going to squander it. And the moment you tell somebody that um, they're immortal or that there's something after this, they tend to squander the very life that they have. And they shouldn't do that. Um, This is it. (laughs) This is this is what you got you know, is the way I view it. And um, you should live every breath like that, you know, like like as if it's... Your last. Yeah, every breath like it's your last. And if you do that, you'll have a great life, right? That'll be wonderful. And if you're wrong, and there happens to be some really amazing old guy in the sky who just loves everybody and wants to... If that ever did happen, oh well, you know... That'd be great, but I don't think so. (laughs) Well, 
Thanks, Nick. Do you have like any last summary things you want to say? I think that's that the coronavirus has presented a different kind of death. It's a lonely death. Um, and I don't think we've seen that before. But when people die and we're on strict um, isolation and they don't get to have a family holding their hand when they pass, it's a pretty lonely way to die. So, yeah, wear the mask and get vaccinated. And I think one of the purposes of life is that we don't have to go through it alone most no, of the time. No, right, and correct. COVID definitely strips the humanity from Cor that experience. Correct. Yeah. Well, thank you for thank you, giving Nick. me this opportunity. Yeah, I appreciate it. That was great. Our next interview, conducted by Darian DeBruel, is with life coach Jeremy Martin to help explain the philosophical perspective. Today I'm here with life coach Jeremy Martin, and we're going to continue to discuss the purpose of life. Hi, Jeremy. How are you today? Good. How are you? I'm good. So as a life coach, I'm sure you've seen lots of things. You've experienced lots of things, whether through your own experiences or through others' experiences. What would you say the purpose of life is to you? Well, that's a very big question. Um, and, you know, you know me a little bit so in, in our interaction, so I'm going to give a little bit of a background before I go into actually answering that question. Um, first and foremost, I think to give a little bit of premise is my spiritual beliefs or my beliefs of overall life in general is the fact that um, I believe, you know, there's that saying out there that there's, we are spiritual beings having physical experience and we're eternal beings. We're in essence. And so in my own personal beliefs, I believe that we live multiple lives and the, the, the old adage of, Oh, you're an older soul. What that means is how I interpret that. And again, this is just based off my own experience and understanding is that an older soul is someone who has lived multiple lifetimes, many lifetimes, in fact. And so they come with just this natural innate wisdom and experience. And there's a lot of souls that are not older souls and those souls are here to learn certain things and so forth. But the simple fact that I'm trying to, to express is that, um, the, there's this belief that we have all have different lifespans. And so how does that tie into answering the question of what's the purpose of life? The purpose of life in my mind in the simplest form in the simplest terms is to really just live a, a fulfilled life. That's truly the purpose of life. And as a, if I can elaborate on that, what that means is, is, is there are some people here that, you know, that they're just here to learn. They're just here to experience life. The good, the bad, the ugly, the great. And to live a fulfilled life is to be able to put yourself in a situation to experience all those things. There's some people that are here in this lifetime to teach. They're meant to be mentors. They're here to help people, motivate and inspire them. Well, they, to live a fulfilled life, they have to embrace that role, step into that role and to be able to have an impact on that role. There's other people that are here to just learn certain lessons, right? Learn what it means to be in an abusive relationship. Learn what it means to be a manipulator, to be a person that actually hurts other people. Because again, for us to truly understand the grand scope of all things, we have to be able to experience all things, the good and the bad, the light and the dark. And so to live a fulfilled life is to step into and embracing those things that we are here to experience and to have. 
So are you saying that everybody has a different purpose in that life? There's not one collective purpose for humanity or individuals? In my personal belief, I believe so. I think, I think the statement of living a fulfilled life is broad enough to encompass that. Right? If I'm here to just experience, if I live a fulfilled life, then I'm, I am experiencing everything that I can. Right? I'm leaving the house. I'm traveling. I'm trying new foods. I'm meeting new people. That's a fulfilled life. If I'm here to do a specific work, well, I'm going to be engaged and to live a fulfilled life, I'm going to go into that. If I'm here to, to learn something and to gain something, if I don't reach out to those types of things, if I'm not actively engaging into being in different activities and different scenarios and different situations, then I, I'm really not fulfilling then the reason why I'm here. So each person has a unique purpose individually dictated to them but the overall if there was one overarching theme of life i would say to live a fulfilled life to be fully engaged in it i know a lot of people kind of equivalent happiness and finding their purpose do you think that there's like a step-by-step handbook to how somebody can achieve happiness or do you think that people achieve happiness in different ways depending on their purpose that's a good question um i think happiness is a choice so from an individualistic perspective, here's what I would say is um, Steve Harvey talks about there's two great works in life. Um, you know, he he's, comes from a Christian background and belief, so he uses the word God. But I'll, I'll just say self or God or whatever your higher power is. In essence, there's two great works, he says. The first work or the first main thing is, is to understand that we all have a gift And so the first most important work in life is to discover what that gift is. I, I really resonate with that because as a life coach, as a professional coach, and then even as a psychology major, the personality of a human being is so dynamic, but I think that we all have, we, we, we all share a lot of common markers and common denominators, but we all have a very unique creative genius. We all have unique things that make us who we are And I truly believe we all do have a gift. And so the first great work is to discover what that gift is. For me growing up, you know, I was was heavily into sports and I was a basketball player. And so, you know, I never really thought about what makes me really a great person, but I wanted to be a great basketball player. Well, there comes a time in life when that all ends. And so then as I lost that part of my identity, it's like, okay, now what? Now how do I fit in? Now what can I do? So then you try to find it with work or titles or different things. But when you get to the core of it, you really have to start asking, okay, who am I and what do I bring with me and what makes me unique? And your, your gift is tied into that. And, and so when you go through the process and you go through exploring and you really kind of discover that unique trait, that unique thing that you do better than almost everybody else or you do it in a way that is so unique to you that people come to you for that. Are you an unbelievable listener? Are you a great advice giver? Are you someone who just holds space for people? Are you, are you really good with your hands and can you fix things, right? We all have this unique thing, this creative genius inside of us that has a positive influence and impact on other people's lives. So that's the first great work. And then he goes on to allude and says the second great work is to learn how to then in turn, once you find the gift, how do you give the gift to the world? 
And I think we're so caught up in life of trying to find how can we be successful? How can I make a lot of money? Because if I can do that, then at that point in time, I'll be successful. I'll have a, I'll, I'll live a purposeful life, right? But the reality of it is, is if you think about the true nature of value, I define it as this. Real value is when someone is willing to offer their own resources to you for something that you do because that what you do has an impact on their life. Do you think a lot of people get wrapped up in their titles or their jobs? They see themselves as like, oh, I'm Rachel the receptionist. And so they get stuck in feeling like what they do for work is their purpose. And there's a deeper purpose than that. It could be tied into their work, but there's a deeper purpose. Yep. Well, here's the thing is, think about it. When you ask somebody, tell me about who you, who are you? What's our first response? Usually your job or what you do. <laughs> yeah. It's our titles, right? I'm a mom. I'm a dad. I'm a secretary. I'm a business analyst, right? I, and then it goes from there of like, from what your title is to then here's my passions, or here's my hobbies, probably more hobbies and passions, you know, oh, and I like to draw or I like to hang out with friends or do these things or then, and then it goes to our accomplishments, you know, oh, well, I, you know, I've done this, this, and this, our titles, everything in life revolves around our gifts, but we it happens so easy because it is directly tied to who we are, our gifts that we don't notice or pay attention to them. And so when I'm working with someone and I'm helping them discover, because I have worked with a lot of people that have come and said, hey, I want to know how I'm great. Like, how can I be successful? I always tell them, I says, look, first and foremost, you need to understand that what, you, what makes you successful, you already do. You're just not aware of it. And here's why. I'll ask you this question. Okay. Do you think about breathing? No. Okay. So are you saying that breathing just happens? We don't think about it. Yes. Okay. So if I were to go and if I were to stab a, and this is probably pretty graphic, but if I were to put a, a screwdriver in your brain and basically cause your brain to go brain dead, would your body continue to breathe? No. Why not? Because the brain isn't working. So the brain isn't working. So is there a thought process that happens with your brain to make your body breathe? Yes. But yes. we've been so controlled to do it, so it becomes automatic. Exactly. So there is a process there. There is a thought process. There is something that happens within our bodies that triggers us to breathe. Why do you think when we have anxiety, we start breathing faster? Right? Why do you think that when we're calm and meditating and we're focusing on breathing, we breathe deeper and slower? So there is a thought process to breathe. Our gifts are the same way. We have been doing our gifts since we were little and we've done them so often. We don't acknowledge that what we do is great, is a creative genius or is a gift. It's just what we do. But these are things that sometimes other people can pick on or will compliment us on and be like, oh, you're a really great listener. You're a really great advice giver. But you might not even see that about yourself because you're just so used to doing it. And it comes so naturally to you. Exactly. So let me ask you. What are things that you do really well, naturally, that people come to you for? Um, I tell good stories. That sounds weird, but people actually come to me to hear my stories. Okay. And so why does that sound weird? I don't know, because I feel like most people like don't, don't like to talk about... I don't know. I feel like most people would go up to somebody and be like, oh, tell me about this. <laughs> yeah. 
But the fact of the matter is that whether you get tell good stories or you can illustrate key points, right? You enjoy public speaking. You enjoy getting in front of people, taking them on a journey with your stories. That's part of your gift, right? But you don't think that that is necessarily because that's just what you do naturally well. That's true. Okay. Now, the beauty and the power in it is when you finally become consciously aware of what your gift is. So that's the, that's the first work, right? That's what Steve Harvey is saying. You need to discover what your gift is. He's not saying you need to find it. He says you have to discover what it is. Because finding it implies it's lost, but it's not lost. It's within you. It's within you. Exactly. So that's the first thing. Now, the second thing is, once you discover your gift, now how do you give that gift to the world? So... If you were to get to the place where you are so efficient and you're so consciously aware of what you do, the storytelling, well, how can you then give that to the world? Well, you can write a book, you can become a public speaker, you can do podcasts and become an influencer, right? You can become a teacher and instructor. There's so many different ways that, that tie into the, what you do naturally really well that can serve as a vehicle for you to offer your gift to the world. And then in turn, what happens? People at that point in time will then give their resources. They'll give their time. They'll give their money, their monetary resources. They'll, they'll do trades or they, they'll do things to help you continue to live a more fulfilled life. So as you continue to give your gift and you refine that process and you give your gift to the world, now all of a sudden what happens is you're living a more fulfilled life. You're living a purposeful life rather than just going through the motion day in and day out. Wow. That's great. So if people want to know more about you or learn more of your lessons or come to you for individualistic teachings, where can they find you? So there's a couple of different ways. Um, obviously, social media is, is the, the most common way. Um, and my handle is Coach Jeremy, and that's the Jeremy spelled J-E-R-A-M-I-E. So Coach Jeremy Martin, M-A-R-T-I-N, um, both on Instagram and, and Facebook. Also, you can find my website is CoachJeremyMartin.com. And then I have a podcast. So if anyone's interested in just kind of hearing more about things that we talk about when it comes to ego and kind of finding your true self and authentic self. Um, I'm on most major outlets as far as like, you know, Apple, Spotify, and, and it's under Coach Jeremy. So everything is with title with me is basically Coach Jeremy. And so those are the, the different areas and arenas that people can, can find more about me and what I talk about and so forth. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about your experiences and how to find purpose. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at whiningaboutlife for updates on episode two.